Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, would you take them out and turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. For those of you who can remember this far back, we are still in the midst of our Galatians series, and we have two chapters left to go in Galatians, and we're going to resume that next week. But before we do, this seemed like a perfect Sunday for us to be thinking as it's the beginning of a new year, uh, to be thinking about what our desires and our goals are for 2014. I don't know if you're the type who makes New Year's resolutions. I, I sometimes do, and I sometimes don't. I don't feel very compelled to do it, but I do start to think every January about goals for life, about what I want to accomplish in the year ahead, what I want to do differently than I've done in the year before. And as a pastor, I also tend to think about goals for us as a church. What is our desire to, that we want our church to look like at the end of 2014? Are there goals that we want to accomplish? And as I think about that question, what, what are our goals as a church? I think we would be hard-pressed to do better than what we find in Luke 8. This is the parable that Jesus tells his disciples in the crowds about a sower sowing seed on four types of soil. And let me just read one verse for us. Verse 15. I'm going to read the whole thing in a minute, but this is a goal for us in 2014 as a church. Luke 8:15 says, And for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. When I think about my goals for us as a church in 2014, this is my goal. Now, we will be a church that hears the gospel, that holds the gospel fast, that grows to maturity and produces fruit. I don't think we could express our goal as a church much better than that, than to hear the gospel, hold it fast, grow to maturity, and produce fruit. This is a, a seed in this parable. It yields fruit a hundred times over. So let me... Now, I want to read this whole parable for us so we hear the whole thing. It's our custom here. If you're able, would you join me in standing for the reading of God's word? And I'm going to read from Luke 8, and I'm actually going to begin in verse 1. Luke 8, verse 1. Soon afterwards, he went through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Now verse 4. When a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil, and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. 
And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, this is your word, and we've come to that point where we must rely upon you to open the eyes of our hearts that we might hear and that we might listen to your word and hear it with our ears and receive it in our hearts and treasure it in our lives, and that it might change us, that it might cause us to grow, that it might lead us unto maturity, to the bearing of fruit even a hundred times what was sown. Lord, we ask that you will do this for the glory of Jesus Christ in his church. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I want to begin this morning with the ending of the sermon and begin by telling you right up front what the main point of the sermon is. If anyone dozes off, you won't be able to say that you missed the main point of the sermon. The main point is actually expressed most clearly in verse 18, which is below what we read But verses 4 through 21 is all one solid block of teaching from Jesus. And the point that he's making is expressed most clearly in verse 18. So if you have your Bibles open, just look down to Luke 8, 18. And this is where he expresses the point. Take care then how you hear. Take care then how you hear. Because what we have here is a parable with a sower who goes out to sow his seed and he scatters it and it falls on four different types of soil, which is the preaching of the gospel landing on four different types of hearers. He's describing four different types of people who hear the preaching of the gospel and who respond to the preaching of the gospel in four different ways. And so the lesson is we all hear the preaching of the gospel and the point is take care how you hear Because what we're going to see is that there are different ways to hear the preaching of the gospel. In one of the soils, the seed doesn't even begin to grow. It's eaten by the birds before it has a chance. In the second type, it actually begins to grow, but the plant dies. In the third type, it it, it grows and it actually begins to mature, but it doesn't set any fruit. And only in one of the types of soils, the fourth type, does the seed grow into a plant that comes to maturity and actually begins to set fruit and produce a harvest. So what he's saying for us is that there are four different ways that we can hear the preaching of the gospel, four different ways that we can receive what is being taught to us. Although it might be that everyone hears what is being said, the lesson is to take care how we hear it, how we hear what Jesus has to say to it, because there's only one way to hear it that's actually effective in the parable. Now we have to understand right up front that this is not talking about just a one-time event. You might have heard this parable taught in such a way that it's talking about sort of evangelistic efforts, that that as we preach the gospel to those who have not heard, as we share the gospel with friends and neighbors who have not heard, that, that we might get one of four responses based on these four types of soil, and that is true. But it's also true that this refers to uh, repeated events, to lifestyles, to those of us who hear the gospel, not just that first time, but, but every time. Week after week, as we hear the gospel, every time we hear it, there are different ways that we respond to the preaching of the word. We often use this to tell us that, that, you know, there's some people who just don't receive the gospel. There's some people who are just one of these first few types of soils, and, and no matter how hard we might try to share the gospel with them, no matter how 
well we might present it to them and how clearly we might uh, preach it. Nevertheless, there are just going to be some who don't receive it, who who don't take the word as it is taught. And, And that's true. That is one of the things that it is teaching us. But it goes further than that. It's not only describing for us this reality that there will be some who don't hear the word properly. It's also teaching us and preparing us how to hear it properly. It's not merely descriptive. This is a prescriptive parable for us, teaching us how we can hear the word of God, how we can receive the gospel, treasuring it in our lives and storing it up in our hearts. Jesus is teaching us how to hear the gospel well. And so this is the lesson for us to take care how we hear. And I want to press it on us a little bit this morning with with this question. Has the gospel taken root in your life? Has the gospel taken root in your life? That's the point that I want to make uh, most firmly today, and that's the question that I want us to think about. In what ways has the gospel taken root in our life? And I'll explain this a little bit as we move along. And this is the, the point that I want us to see. First, we're going to look at the gospel as it is sown, and then examine the three unfruitful types of hearing and the one fruitful type of hearing. The gospel as it is sown the three unfruitful types of hearing and one fruitful type of hearing. What we have here in this parable, first of all, is that this is an allegory. It's a a parable, it's an allegory, it's a story that Jesus tells to teach us in which each part of this parable corresponds to something in our lives. And the first two elements of this story are the sower and his seed. First, there is the sower. This is, first of all, uh, it's called in many of our Bibles the parable of the sower, even though it might be more accurate for us to call it the parable of the four soils because it's the soils which get the most attention. But this is the parable of the sower. Now, in the first place, we have to recognize the sower in the parable is Jesus. Jesus is the one who is sowing the seed among the four soils in this parable. Although when he explains the parable, you see, this is... These parables are great because we get the answer key given to us in the text, right? He, he tells the parable to the crowds as he's teaching. And then when he's with his disciples, the disciples say, Jesus, tell us what this parable means. And, and he just walks them through it. So it's, it's easy for us because he walks them through what the four soils mean and what the seed is. But what he does not explain is the sower. He doesn't say the sower in the parable is me or, or is you or is anybody else. And, and that's interesting. Of course, this has led some people to assume that the sower actually doesn't matter in this parable. It's led some to say that the sower, it doesn't matter, it can be anybody. And that's true. This does relate to any of us as we share the gospel with others. A preacher, as he preaches the gospel, or or anybody who shares it with their friends, that, that we will find these responses. But first and foremost, in this parable, the sower is Jesus. So I think we're going to start by assuming the sower really does matter in this parable because the sower is Jesus who's coming and he's preaching the good news of the kingdom. It says in verse 1, this is part of why we started in verse 1, that it says, Soon afterward, Jesus went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And so that is what Jesus is doing. He's sowing his seed everywhere he goes, proclaiming, bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Now he does help us with the seed. According to verse 11, when Jesus begins to explain, he says, Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. And so the seed that he's scattering is the preaching and the proclamation of the kingdom of God. 
He says it's the Word of God, and we know from the context here that, that what he is preaching is not just the general Word of God, anything uh, from Genesis to Revelation, but what he's preaching is specifically the good news of the kingdom. He's preaching the gospel, and that is the scattering of the seed. In fact, part of the reason that Jesus tells this parable, how he does and where he does and when he does, is that what he's doing in telling this parable is he's explaining to us the nature of his own ministry. This is explaining how his ministry has been going so far in the Gospel of Luke. He has been preaching, and Jesus has been receiving these four different types of responses, even as he preaches. You know, we might think, as perhaps as a preacher, I might think that if only I could preach like Jesus, certainly Jesus got a 100% conversion rate when he preached. You know, everyone heard exactly what he said and went and did it. But we actually look in the Gospels and we find just the opposite. Many more people turned away and rejected his teaching than actually ended up following him. <clears throat> Ever since chapter 4 in the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus begins to teach in Nazareth, he's rejected. We have that story of him preaching in Nazareth. He goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he unrolls the great Isaiah scroll. <clears throat> and we ha have recorded for us that he reads from Isaiah 61. He reads that passage. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Good news, the Lord's favor. Jesus comes and he's preaching great news to these people. And what do they do? They kick him out of the synagogue. They reject his teaching. They try to throw him off a cliff for announcing that the Lord is, is pleased with them, that it's the year of his favor. And so this is Jesus' own experience, that he is preaching the gospel, he is scattering seed, and in fact, there are many who are not receiving his teaching. There are many who are rejecting it. <clears throat> now we see that there are some who follow. In fact, in verses 2 and 3 that we read, uh, Luke makes mention of not only the disciples who are with him, but also some of these women that he lists by name. Uh, Mary and, and Joanna and Susanna and many others which is very significant because we know that in the first century, if there are women who are following Jesus in the culture of that day, they would not have been the high-profile disciples of Jesus. Most likely, any women who followed him would have been sort of the marginalized followers, and it would have been the men who were in prominence. But Luke takes special care to record for us not only that there were women following him, but he gives us three of their names. Mary, Joanna, and Susanna. So there are some who follow now here in verse 4, it says, A great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came out to hear him. And so I wonder if at this point in the gospel, perhaps Jesus knows in his heart that this great crowd has gathered to hear him speak, and yet he knows most of those who are gathered there are not going to follow him. He knows already that there are these four types of hearers represented among this group, and that only some will actually receive the word that he speaks. But three-fourths of them, if we can just uh, go with the percentage of the parable, are not going to receive his word. Maybe they've just gathered because they like to hear a good speaker speak. They like to hear someone who preaches and teaches with conviction. They like to have their ears tickled. And so Jesus' own experience teaches what this parable explains for us, that Jesus was often rejected. But there's another reason that Jesus gives this parable at this particular time in his ministry. One of the things that, that we read in the Old Testament, in the, the prophecies, 
that teach about the coming of the Messiah, about the coming of the kingdom of God, they will occasionally use the language of a sower going out to sow his seed. Jeremiah 31, 27, part of the promise of the new covenant, says this, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and the seed of beasts. Hosea 2, he says, I will sow her for myself in the land. Ezekiel uses this language. Throughout the Old Testament, part of these promises are the Lord is coming. The Lord is going to act in fulfillment of all of his promises. He's going to come in great blessing. He's going to come and, and act for us in a way that he's never done before. And it's going to be a glorious day. It will be like God going out to sow the seeds in his field. And so when Jesus comes now and says, this is what is happening, <clears throat> that he is the sower who's going out to sow seed in his field, what does this mean? It means that even here, through the work of Christ, he is bringing the kingdom of God. That in the work of Christ, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, God is now acting, working in fulfillment of all of his promises. That this is the longed-for day. This is the one they've been waiting for to come and to bring the good news of the kingdom. Sowing seed as a farmer sows seed in his field. And so this is what Jesus is doing. Jesus comes preaching the good news of the kingdom, scattering the seed. And this is my prayer for us today, that, that even now, even during this sermon, that it will not be me who is preaching, but that Jesus himself will be preaching the good news, scattering the seed of his word into our hearts. And my prayer, of course, is that we will all be the good soil, that we will receive it, and that it will uh, take root, that it will grow to maturity, that it will produce fruit a hundredfold in our lives. Because Jesus himself is teaching us. But what he teaches in this parable is that there are unfruitful ways of hearing the word of God. And there are fruitful ways of hearing the word of God. See, everything we've said so far really only begs this question that, that if Jesus is coming and Jesus is the one preaching and Jesus is the one scattering the seed, why is it that so many fail to hear appropriately? <coughs> why is it that even Jesus is met with so much rejection at his preaching. And at this point, I believe Jesus is going to come to us as a, a skillful surgeon to do a little bit of spiritual cardiology on us and to work on our hearts and to describe the ways that we hear the word of God. The four soils that Jesus describes are four hearers described by the state of their heart. The first hearer is the path the path. Look at verse 5. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path. It was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Now, that might seem a little bit unlikely because we wonder why this farmer was so careless, letting his seed fall on the sidewalk. We understand that in first century Palestine, they, they didn't have the same rigid division that we do between cities here and farms outside the city. It was much more common that there was some intermingling and people often had to walk through the farm fields on paths that they trampled down to get somewhere. Remember the story of Jesus and his disciples who were one day walking through the grain fields and they were picking some grain as they went and rubbing it in their hands and, and that was when the Pharisees ambushed them and accused them of breaking the Sabbath for having done so. Well, the reason that happened is because there are these paths that go through the fields and it was common for people to walk on them. And so as a farmer scatters his seed just kind of in the broadcast method, it would be common for some of that seed to fall along the path. And of course, it does not grow. It gets trampled. 
by those walking by, and it gets eaten by the birds before it can begin to grow. And in verse 12, Jesus describes what this means. Verse 12, he says, The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. So Jesus describes this group of people as those who hear the gospel, but because of the hardness of their hearts, it never gets inside. He says it falls on the path. It does not actually go into the soil or into the path. It just lays on top. And therefore, there are birds flying around, and they come, and they pick up the seeds and snatch it away. Now, Jesus, with this type of hearer, we have to remember he's not talking about those who have never heard the gospel. Sometimes we wonder, we ask ourselves, what, what will happen to those who never hear? That's not who Jesus is talking about here. He says, he begins by saying that he's talking about those who have heard. These are the people who have sat under the preaching of the gospel. And yet their hearts are hard. So the gospel does not get inside, it only sits on top. You see, on the one hand, this category of person, this seems to be the farthest from Christ. And I mean... The birds are snatching it away. The devil takes away the word before it can do anything. But this is what is scary, that, that these are people who are hearing the word of God. These are people who, we would say, these are people who go to church. These are religious people. These are people who are sitting under the preaching of the word. It's not that they never hear, and so they don't get saved. <clears throat> it's that they do hear. Jesus says these are those who hear the word of God, but only with their ears. John MacArthur says, Interestingly, such hard-hearted people are often not atheists, but highly and seriously religious. He says this type of person, these are not the atheists, these are not the, the secularists. He says these are often highly and seriously religious people. We remember that, that those who Jesus most often accused for their hardness of heart were the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the scribes. We're so caught up trying to please God, but they were caught up trying to please God in their own ways, by their own rules that they had devised, the traditions of the fathers that they followed. They were so intent on doing that, that, that when God himself came to them in Jesus, they had no space for him. They said, Jesus, you'll, you'll have to get out of our way. We're trying to please God here. And so they completely missed the preaching of the gospel by Jesus because they were trying so hard to be religious. You see, it's possible for us to be very religious, to put all of our time and energy into religious activities, to be very faithful in church activities, to be very faithful in giving of all of our resources, and to look very good on the outside, and yet to not love Jesus on the inside. To, to not do that which Jesus says is most important, that is to love the Lord our God with our hearts, to love our neighbor. <clears throat> we have a, a, a veneer of spirituality but no reality to it. It's these people who are trying to earn God's favor through obedience rather than accept his favor through believing the gospel. We've said this before, uh, that, that the operating principle of religion is I obey and therefore God accepts me. Whereas the operating principle of the gospel is completely different. It's, it's God accepts me and therefore I obey. And it's these who are working out of this religious mindset that, that we do things for God, we work for him, and therefore we earn his favor that are this first type of hearer. They seem religious, 
But Jesus says they hear with their ears, but produce no fruit. Now there's the second type, is the rocky soil. The rocky soil. He says in verse 6, this is the part of the parable, he says, Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. Now again, this rocky soil that he describes, he says it falls on the rock. Now this would not have been a bare rock. No farmer would throw seed onto a bare rock. But it would be a, a, a field, and this was fairly common along the hillsides in Palestine, that you would have a, a, a big piece of limestone, which is the rock, but it would be covered by a, a thin layer of soil. And so the farmer going out, sowing his seed, he would look and he would just see the soil, and so he throws some seed there. But it turns out there's maybe only an inch or less of soil, and then there's the, the rock beneath it. And so the plant can have some opportunity to grow. It can actually germinate and begin to grow, but has no opportunity to develop roots because the, 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 the soil is so shallow, it, it doesn't grow roots. And so when the heat comes, he says, it withers. And Jesus describes in verse 13, he says, the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word of God, receive it with joy, but they have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. Jesus describes this as a person who, who hears the gospel and not only do they hear the gospel but this is a person who receives it with joy <clears throat> and yet when trials come this person falls away i've always found this category to perhaps be the most unsettling because this is a person who they receive the gospel and not only do they receive it but they receive it with joy i mean for all we can tell looking from the outside it would seem as though this is a conversion that, that's really genuine we would see this response and we would rejoice with them and we'd say, wow, this must be authentic. This is a person who's responded to the preaching of the gospel and they're so joyful in their response that we would use our spiritual language and we'd say, wow, the Lord is really at work here. The Spirit is with this person. They're responding with joy until trials come. I, <clears throat> last week, I, while I was in South Carolina, I had opportunity to meet with some of my old seminary friends and of course, in the midst of talking and catching up and reminiscing, we were talking about some of our other friends from seminary and realized that we could think of three of our friends from seminary who are no longer walking with the Lord. In fact, they're living in open rebellion. And we recognize that, that those are not just people who had been believers. Those are not just people who had come to church, but, but somehow they had been serious enough about it that made their way to seminary and been accepted to seminary and, and started training for ministry. And yet, over time, trials came in each one of their lives. Something happened. And when the heat came and the trials came, these people were exposed that, that they had no roots. The gospel had not truly taken root in their lives, and they withered. And, and all of us, if you've been a believer for long enough, you will know people who are like that. I can think of college friends and high school friends and, and, and now seminary friends and realize that, that this is the reality. Jonathan Edwards was a pastor in New England, and he was privileged enough to be a pastor during the time of the Great Awakening. And he was, in fact, used by the Lord to spur on the Great Awakening. It was his preaching that led many, many hundreds of people to come to Christ. And as much as he rejoiced in that, he also, as a pastor, felt that he had a responsibility to do more than to rejoice, but also to be responsible in discerning more carefully what were the marks of a true conversion. What were the marks of a true conversion versus a, 
false conversion or, or one that seems genuine from the outside. And so he wrote a work on it called Religious Affections. And in part of that, he based part of it on this parable. And he came to the conclusion that just because a person experiences great joy at the time of conversion, he says that alone is no certain guarantee that the conversion is genuine. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. He says they receive it with joy, but the time of testing comes. But here's what we need to remember about this place, this, this, this person, this soil. Jesus doesn't give us this parable so that we can examine everyone else's conversion. And so we can look around at our neighbor and look kind of askew at them and say, I don't know, they seemed awfully happy when they were converted. That, that's probably not genuine. He doesn't give it to us so we can examine everybody else's heart. Jesus gives us this parable so we can examine our own hearts. So we can ask ourselves, has the gospel truly taken root in our lives? Or is it resting on rocky soil? Is it on the path? Have I, have I let the gospel into my heart? Have I heard it? Or am I only hearing with my ears only and not my heart? The proper response to this is not to look around us at others, not to look at our neighbors, not to look at those out there, but to ask ourselves whether the gospel is truly taking root in our lives. Because this is the real issue for us. Are we grounded? Is the gospel forming strong, deep, nourishing roots in our lives that will last through times of trials? Is it strong enough that it's going to sustain us in times of difficulties? Because they will come. We know that. The question is not if trials are going to come into our lives, but when trials are going to come into our lives. And when they do, they will expose for us whether the gospel has truly taken root or whether it's merely superficial. Some of you are familiar with the name Henry Nouwen. <clears throat> he was a, an author and a minister, and, and for 20 years he was a professor of theology and philosophy at Notre Dame, Yale, and Harvard. And he published over 20 books. He, he amassed a resume that anyone in his field would, would look at with a tinge of envy. He seemed to have everything put together. He, he was teaching at the end of his career. He was teaching at Harvard with the best and the brightest, grooming the most powerful leaders in the world. And yet he decided to make a career change. And he left Harvard, and he took up as a chaplain at a community called Daybreak in Toronto. And Daybreak was a residential live-in facility for adults with mental handicaps. And it was for people whose handicaps were, were profound enough that they required 24-7 care in a live-in residential facility. And he went there to be the chaplain. And he said it didn't take him long to realize that all of his worldly accomplishments, his entire resume meant absolutely nothing to any of the people who were living there. As he was trying to, to now make some inroads and minister to these adults who were there and to make friends with them, he realized they did not care that he had taught at Harvard. They had not read his books. His resume meant nothing to them. He said they cared about one thing. Was he being friendly to them? Was he a nice guy? And, and he realized that everything in his life that he could have leaned on for his identity had been stripped away. He was just down to the core of his being. Is he friendly to others? The trials in our life, when they come, they do something just like that. They, they have a way of stripping away everything that is external to our identity, and they take us down to our core. And they expose us for this. Has the gospel truly taken its root? Or is it only superficial? 
Because if it's superficial, it will not last through a time of trial. It will be one of the things stripped away. If it's not at the very core of our being, the core of our identity, who we are in Christ. If the gospel does have roots in the time of trial, we'll, we'll turn into a First Peter 1, 6, and 7 moment. This is what it says. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, if the gospel has roots, the tested genuineness of our faith, more precious than gold, will be shown to praise, honor, and glory to Christ. Rather than the seed in rocky soil that withers at the first sign of trial, and the difference will only be this, whether or not the gospel has truly taken root in our hearts. Do we only know it in our head, or do we cherish it and treasure it in our heart? Is it just our, our religion, our sense of meaning with some activity, or, or is it that which restores our soul when nothing else can? When everything else goes wrong, do we still take joy in the fact that we are the bride of Christ, that we are a child of the Father, that he looks at us and says, with you I am well pleased. It's the good news for us. That is, which we, that is the thing which can sustain us through trials. But now the third type. <clears throat> so the first, the first type is, is the path, those who hear it, but it never makes its way in. The second type is the rocky soil, which does not have roots, and so it withers in a time of trial. The third type is the seed sown among the thorns and the weeds. He says in, in verse 7, some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And he describes it in verse 14. As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Again, the gospel is heard. There's the beginning of growth. This is a, a seed that germinates and it grows up as a plant, and it's growing up among the weeds, but it's growing anyway. But again, there's an obstacle which prevents the plant from coming to fruitful maturity. And, and it seems as though this obstacle is, is exactly the opposite. Right? In, the, in the last one, the obstacle was trials. In this one, the obstacle is pleasures. Pleasures, cares, riches even. And, and those seem opposite. It's not trials and testings, which those are bad, right? This time it's, it's pleasures, it's riches, which seem good to us, but that's not how the Bible treats them. The Bible doesn't treat those as opposite things. The Bible actually says both trials and pleasures will be obstacles to your faith if they're handled apart from the gospel. But both trials and pleasures can actually be blessings to your faith if they're handled with the gospel. Apart from the gospel, our trials will undo us and our pleasures will destroy us. Because if the gospel has not taken root in our lives such that, that we find our identity in Christ, we will find our identity somewhere else. Nobody lives an identity-free life. We'll either get our identity from our trials or maybe from our pleasures, but all of those things will destroy us. <clears throat> Here's what I mean. When we were in Greenwood, uh, because of Aubrey's position, because she was a, a faculty member at a residency program that was training young doctors right out of medical school, I had an opportunity to teach a Bible study for some of these young doctors. 
And, and many of them were believers in Christ, and so they met regularly for Bible study. <clears throat> and when they invited me to teach, one of the things that I wanted to say to them, and, and tried my best to say, was that the biggest spiritual occupational hazard that they were going to face in their career as doctors was going to be the temptation to take their identity from the fact that they were doctors. Right? Because, because these were, were people, most of them mid-20s, and they were doctors now. They'd made it through medical school. They're in residency. I mean, they, they, hadn't, they had it made, right? They had it all put together. I mean, they're, they're doctors. They're people who we will look up to. They're people we trust. They're people who, who have a high standing in society. And the temptation for them is always going to be to take their sense of identity and their personal uh, purpose from this fact that I'm a doctor. Hey, you don't like me, but that who cares? I'm a doctor, right? Uh, you know, I've got it put together. You're not a doctor. Who are you? That, that's going to be their temptation, to, to say, that is who I am. And, and they don't look to Christ, but instead they are always going to be leaning on and trusting in this sense of identity that they have chosen for themselves. So they justify themselves to themselves, and they justify themselves to the world in terms of their profession. Now, perhaps you're not a doctor, but, but you're, you're something, you do something, and and we all have this temptation to find a sense of identity in, in what we do or in what has happened to us or what we have experienced rather than in Christ. And, and if it's not Christ, it's going to fade away. It's going to die. If we take our sense of identity from uh, our athletic prowess, I wouldn't know anything about that. But if you do, someday it's going to fade. If you take your sense of identity from your vocation, someday you'll retire or, or something will happen and you'll lose your work. Uh, you know, lots of people here. I mean, this is L.A. This is beautiful, sunny Southern California. We take sense of identity from where we live. This is, you know, this is a big liberal city, and, we, and we, this is a progressive place. And you know, we have it put together here. We outlaw plastic bags. I mean, we do these things. We're protecting the environment, so we take sense of identity from where we live and what we do. But all of those things will die if that is your identity. If it is in anything but God. And so the question again becomes, has the gospel taken root? Has the gospel taken root? Because, because your trials can undo you, but it's just as true that our pleasures and our riches will undo us as well because we find our sense of identity in something that is dying. It becomes an idol for us. It becomes an idol. It's a good thing, but when we trust in it, it becomes an idol and it becomes a bad thing. So there are three ways of hearing that are unfruitful, that do not set fruit. But Jesus describes one last type, and this is the good soil. One way of fruitfully hearing the word of God. He says in verse 8, Some fell into good soil, and it grew and yielded a hundredfold. In verse 15, As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. This final type of soil, he simply calls it good. Good soil. And the seed in this good soil is able to take root, and it's able to grow, and it's able to bear fruit a hundred times. John Calvin once said, Some, Someone will object that nobody in this fallen world of ours has an honest and good heart. But he reminds us we're not reading a systematic theology book here, we're just reading a parable. And the point is here that, that Jesus is not speaking in absolute theological categories, but in, in relative ones. That this good soil describes a heart that's not defined by its hardness or its worldliness 
or its weediness or its shallowness, but by this one thing, that when it hears the gospel, it holds it fast and it bears fruit. When it hears the gospel, it holds it fast. Verse 15, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast. This is the soil in which the gospel truly is able to take root and to nourish the plant and to allow it to grow and to cause it to bear fruit. This word for holding fast, it means to retain faithfully, to adhere firmly, or this, to keep in one's memory. To keep in one's memory. We've used the phrase here before, preaching the gospel to yourself every day. The the need for us as fallen, sinful, forgetful people to be constantly reminding ourselves, constantly teaching ourselves, constantly presenting before our eyes the good news of the gospel of Christ because we know the reality of how our hearts are prone to wander. Lord, we feel it, prone to leave the God we love. And so we must daily, hourly sometimes, be holding fast the word of truth, presenting it to our minds so that we can cling to it again. This good news that Christ has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. In other words, what we need is the gospel. What we need is the gospel every day to put our roots down in it, to be nourished by it. We cling to the gospel every day in order to grow. In most cases, it's true for us that, that the gospel is not going to develop roots in our lives if we only hear it one time. Even if we only hear it once a week. That won't cause it to grow roots sufficient to support a plant. That won't cause it to grow roots in our lives sufficient to to bear the weight of fruit on the plant. We need strong, nourishing roots. This is what verse 15 is teaching us, that we hear the gospel, and then we hold it fast, and then we bear fruit with patience. There's a progression here that, that seems natural to the life of a plant, that if a plant has good roots and the the soil is nourishing the plant, that it grows. And it bears fruit. That's what plants do. The gospel so roots our identity in Christ that that this is what happens for us. That when we are truly rooted, that it causes growth. It causes us to set fruit, which is the next couple chapters of Galatians. The fruit of the Spirit that's exhibited in the life of the Christian. And that is fruit that will only grow in our lives when we are first rooted solidly in the gospel because only the gospel can allow us to endure trials in life without withering and only the gospel can allow us to enjoy the good things in life without taking our identity from them and therefore turning them into idols and being destroyed by them only the good heart that holds fast to the word of Christ will bear fruit with patience so we end then where we began which is where we ended, which is this. Take care then how you hear. Has the gospel taken root in your heart? Let's pray together. Father, I do pray that even now as as Jesus continues to present to us the good news of the kingdom, to scatter the seed and to preach the gospel, that we will hear with good hearts, that we will hold it fast, that it will take root deeply in our hearts, that it will sustain us with life-giving joy, life-giving nourishment from your word to sustain us in the midst 
of whatever 2014 has for us, whether it will bring trial or whether it will bring pleasure and riches, we pray most of all that it will be the gospel that sustains us, that we will find our joy in Christ and that he and his faithfulness will never let us down. Father, we lean into what you have spoken to us through Christ. We trust it, we, we cling to it, and we treasure it. Lord, may these things be so in our lives for our good and for the glory of Christ. Amen.